walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Here we go, episode 20 of the Camino Podcast. 20 episodes in about six months. That's pretty awesome, especially when you factor in that unplanned two-month hiatus in the middle. So really 20 episodes in about four months. And uh, thanks to everyone who's listened along the way. Depending on how things shake out, this will be the last polished episode for a little while, or there may be a couple more episodes coming down the pipeline. Just waiting on one more interview to come together in support of the Camino Frances rewalking series. And if that happens over the next week or so, then both of those episodes will pop online. And if not, you'll be waiting until August for those. I head back to the Camino in uh, just over a week, and I will be rewalking the Camino del Norte along with some other routes in support of the Northern Caminos book. We're getting ready a whole new edition, which will probably take a few months after we actually get back in August. But um, but both Laura and I will be there and rewalking everything in the book and adding some new stuff and completely overhauling the maps and some of the other information. So we're really looking forward to the opportunity to make the book better. And thanks to everyone out there also who has purchased the book along the way. We really appreciate it and we want to make it better for you. This episode, uh, episode 20, focuses on Walking the Camino Six Ways to Santiago, a documentary that I suspect most of you have watched at some point. And for everyone else, go watch it. You know, you don't even have to buy the DVD if you don't want to invest in it. You can just go watch it online, pay a few bucks to stream it, and it's totally worth it whether you're getting ready for your first Camino or you want to relive the experience through the stories of, uh, of a handful of, of pilgrims who had a you know great experience of their own. This episode is oversized with three interviews offering different perspectives on the film. I didn't feel like we need to you know really talk through what it is, but instead I, kind of, I wanted to go behind the scenes a little bit and learn about what was happening as the film was being made, what some of the challenges were in getting it produced, and what it's like to be a pilgrim walking the Camino and being stopped every couple days to be interviewed in support of a film. How does that shape the experience? So that's the goal for this episode. Thanks as always for listening, for helping me get to this point. 20 episodes. Kick ass. Enjoy. Lydia Smith is the director and producer of the highly acclaimed Walking the Camino, Six Ways to Santiago, and she lives in beautiful and hot Portland, Oregon. And (laughs) thanks for joining me to talk about the film, Lydia. Oh, thank you. So uh, I know that you've been involved in filmmaking for a long time. The site for Walking the Camino says more than a quarter century. Before you started working on this film, what kinds of other projects had you pursued? Well, my first love was always documentaries, Mm -hmm. and that's what I um, started in right out of college. Um, And I worked in docs for a couple of years. And then I moved to Spain, and I kind of wasn't able to work in documentaries there, so then I worked in commercials, mostly, Mm -hmm. and then moved to L.A., and there I worked um, in commercials, feature films, and um, music videos, and then slowly but surely kind of found my way back to documentaries. And generally speaking, I would do about one documentary a year, um, usually producing 
uh, later, I, I ended up starting to direct as well. Mm-hmm. Along the way, I, I've worked on so many different kinds of projects, and and actually, they all they all help. They all contribute. There's like some little thing I'll learn, or just the hours and hours of being on set and knowing what to do in each moment really makes a big difference. Hmm. What is it about documentaries that you enjoy so much? As a filmmaker, what I really enjoy is is talking to people, is finding out who they really are and what really motivates them and what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Because I think for so much of our lives, we we kind of put on a mask mm-hmm. of this is what I want the world to think. And what I love is finding out, well, what's really behind that mask? Mm-hmm. And... And not in a way, I don't mean it in a way that, you know, I'm trying to find things that people are hiding, hmm. but it's much more, I think, an unconscious thing mm-hmm. that it's really more the opposite in terms of, I think we're all so much greater than we realize we are and so much more capable and so much better um, than what we think. And so that's what I'm really trying to get at is people's true selves, which I think we're not used to showing to people. Mm. And so ultimately you decided to develop this film about the Camino de Santiago, Walking the Camino, Six Ways to Santiago. What was the goal for that film? What kind of film did you hope to create? Well, you know, I kind of started from the end. I started from how I wanted people to feel when they left the audience. Hmm. And that really shaped the film. And what I wanted people to feel inspired. I wanted people to feel empowered to be who they are and recognizing that not all of us are meant to do the same thing or walk the same path, that we're all so very different and we all are each here for a very different reason. And just because, you know, you may be a great singer, that doesn't make me any less of a person. You know, we're all, we all have our different gifts. Mm -hmm. And so it was really about wanting to inspire people to trust their intuition, to trust themselves, and to really let who they are shine instead of comparing or thinking that we need to be who our parents want us to be or who our husband wants us to be, Mm. but really who we're meant to be. A lot of different subjects would be suitable vessels to help you arrive at that outcome. What made the Camino a particularly effective conduit for that? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I had that message that I wanted to convey to the world and then found the Camino. It was much more the Camino found me, mm. and then that was the message of the Camino that I wanted to convey. And that's something that, too, that I find so great about the Caminos. There's so many different messages, mm-hmm. and so many. I remember being on a radio show with Kurt Kuntz, who wrote a book about the Camino, and he he was saying, "Oh, the lessons the." lesson of the Camino is to learn how to let go. Hmm. And that was his lesson. And it's just, to me, that's what's so great about the Camino is that it really is kind of custom for each person. Each person walks away 
going, this was my lesson, Mm -hmm. and it can be completely different from somebody else's. Hmm. So, but going around to your question, so it was really, I felt the Camino called me to make this film, and then that, to me, was the most important message Hmm. um, that I wanted to convey from the Camino. So that's really interesting that you are essentially using the stories of the other pilgrims in the film to convey the lesson that you learned or the lesson that you would like others to take. Yeah, well, because, you know, each person had such a different experience Mm -hmm. and such a different walk and what they were meant to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So to me, that really just showed how beautifully we each have to follow our own path. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so clearly Annie gets into so much trouble when she's trying to you know, keep up with other people mm-hmm. rather than just follow her own timing mm-hmm. and her own pace. I imagine that every documentary, every subject has its own challenges uh, from a filming perspective. What distinct challenges did directing and filming a documentary on the Camino pose for you? Well, the biggest challenge in making this film was the funding. Mm-hmm. It took me um, over three years to raise the funny funding just to edit the film. Hmm. You know, a lot of people like to hear about the production and the filming, and that sort of seems like the most exciting part, <laughs> but it was actually kind of <laughs> one of the smallest parts. Yeah. I mean, we shot for about five weeks, and it took me five years to make the film. Oh, my God. So, yeah. <laughs> so that really was a very small part time-wise of making the film. Obviously, it's an incredibly important part of making the film, but time-wise, it was not the most, it wasn't, you know, the biggest time. So really, the raising the money was really just so challenging mm. and and frustrating because, you know, I, I knew there was, I knew there was a market for this. I knew lots of people would want to see it, and yet I just couldn't get any institutional funding. I mean, I ended up having to essentially ask for money for from every single person I had ever met. <laughs> and um, little by little, that's how it came together. Mm. How did you choose the people to focus on? Did you go into it with particular kinds of people that you were hoping to document? Or did you just hope that you would be inspired, you would just run into the right people? Well, I did a process that one of my spiritual teachers um, developed called visioning. And the idea is you go into meditation and you really kind of try and find the highest vision of what you're trying to create. And so for me, I became clear I really wanted to make the film that the Camino, if it was a person, would would make. Mm-hmm. And so I really tried to defer to the Camino. Mm-hmm. And so what that meant was letting the Camino cast the movie. Hmm. So of all the people you see, Annie was the only one I knew beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else we met along the way. And so for me, it was really just trusting that the Camino would provide who was meant to be in the film. And one of the big surprises was Tatiana and Sirian. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never in a million years would have cast willingly or consciously a mother and a child because hmm. 
there's just so few children that do the Camino. Mm -hmm. But we ran into Tatiana even before we started shooting. She was staying at this albergue where we were doing pre-production and... And we ran into her there, and so we interviewed her, and then we kept running into her. And finally, I was like, okay, I I get it. I think she's (laughs) supposed to be in the film. But it really was, that's, I was really kind of trying to listen and be in that kind of space where it wasn't me making those decisions. It was much more the Camino to showing me, okay, this is who's meant to be in the the film. Mm. How actively did you follow the people around on the road? Like, what were the what were the mechanics of tracking the the featured pilgrims? Well, we had essentially three camera units, mm-hmm. um, two main units, which consisted of a um, camera person, sound um, director, uh, and then somebody kind of a line producer slash driver, and then sometimes an assistant. Um, and then with our featured pilgrims, we gave them telephones. Mm. Um, I got this kind of phone plan in Spain where everybody could just speak to each other for free. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were very low budget, had very little money. So what happened, it was kind of a hilarious but painful experience, was <laughs> um, I asked all my friends, I used to live in Barcelona, so I asked all my friends for their old phones that Mm. were Vodafones that could be used on the Vodafone network. And so I got, you know, like 30 phones. And, (laughs) you know, I spent a lot of time going through all the phones. I charged up all the batteries and then realized some of them, you know, they didn't work or this, that. And so we got rid of them. Well, and then the other ones seemed to be working fine, but I would give them to the pilgrims and then... You know, I try calling him the next day. I'm like, hey, how come you didn't answer? And I was like, well, I charged the battery, but it lasted for like 20 minutes and oh, then it no. died. Yeah. <laughs> and that happened so many times. Yeah. And so um, it was, but, you know, it just always worked out. That was what was amazing was like when I couldn't get a hold of one person, we'd be standing there and somebody else would walk up. Mm-hmm. And essentially what happened is each camera, the A and B units, essentially had the six um, pilgrims or groups of pilgrims that they were following. And then Fernando, who was on his own, just a one-man band, essentially, he did his own sound and did everything. He kind of wandered and um, walked and took trains and buses and went however he could and followed the pilgrims. And he really got great footage because it was much more intimate and when it's just one person and a camera, it, people really kind of let go of their guard a little bit more than when it was three of us, me, right. you know, a camera and sound. So essentially what we would do is we would spend, let's say, wake up in the morning, film somebody having breakfast, and mm-hmm. then um, walk with them um, for a while, shoot them walking, and then we would interview them, and then we'd you know, get in the van and go film somebody else. So Hmm. it was, um, usually we'd film two to three pilgrims a day, Mm -hmm. but it, um, it varied a lot. And I, I like to talk about like the miracles of the Camino. One Mm -hmm. of the things that happened that was just amazing was we had this new group of pilgrims, the Germans that we were going to, going to film and they were walking into Burgos. There's literally three routes you Mm -hmm. can go into Burgos. 
And so I'm talking to Ushi, whose English is not perfect, and my German is essentially non-existent. So I'm talking to Ushi, and she's kind of like, well, we're walking into Burgos. I can't do a German accent. <laughs> um, and we're walking next to a creek. Mm-hmm. And that was all the info I had. <laughs> so I, I tell our driver, who is kind of our Camino expert, Marce- Marcello, who is just an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. And I tell him this, and he's like, I think I know where they are. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we drive. <laughs> We drive to this place, and he's, he stops the car, and he's like, okay, if you get out here, walk down this path, and then you'll see the, the Camino. You'll see the Camino right there, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's next to a creek. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So we literally go, and just as we're crossing the bridge to get to where the path is, we wouldn't know whether to go left or right, you know, not knowing a- any idea where they were. Just as we're crossing the bridge, they appear coming out from <laughs> on the path. And it was like, what are the chances? Yeah. Because if we had been a minute earlier, we could have turned the wrong way and not found them. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just really funny. <laughs> I'm curious what it was like surrounding you and the pilgrims featured in the film on the Camino while you were there? In other words, were, were other pilgrims sort of watching as the filming was happening? Was there a lot of talk and conversation? Were people not already being considered for interviews, trying to get in on the action and, and get interviewed? Like, what was, what was the impact of the filming on pilgrims walking through at this time? Well, essentially, of all the scenarios you described, that all of them were happening. <laughs> um, yeah, it was definitely, it was kind of like the buzz on the Camino. And there were, um, there were people, you know, we were filming some people, but then we'd chat with others and we'd get to know them. So we started filming Misa very early on. And then Jack and Wayne were intersecting with Misa and they kept seeing us and they, we would chat with them. And then I was like, oh, you guys seem interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I want to have lunch. And then... I, or actually, not as much lunch. What I'd usually do is I'd usually take off when I was interested in a pilgrim, I would take off and walk with them for a couple hours mm. so that they would really get to know me because having worked in the film industry, I know how easy it is to twist people's words around and to essentially make them say things that they haven't even said. So for me, what was really important is that people got to know me and understood what my intentions were and that they trusted me mm-hmm. because that's really what it's about is they have to trust that, okay, I'm going to be open, I'm going to be vulnerable, and I'm going to trust that this is going to be a good thing. So I would usually spend a couple hours um, walking with them. But there was definitely one one story was hilarious. Sam, um, the Brazilian woman, she had gone to the Camino with the idea that she was going to make a film about her Camino. (laughs) And she was going to videotape herself. She had this little camera and she had, you know, two little cards and she filmed herself the first day and literally filled up both her cards. (laughs) And she's like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, like she just didn't have enough data. She didn't have money to buy a gazillion more cards. And Mm -hmm. she was like, Oh, 
you know, I, I so wanted to make this film, but I, I can't. You know, she was just woefully unprepared to do this. Mm-hmm. And so then she heard about us. And she was like, oh, my God, wouldn't that be great? But she was like five or six days ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you know, I would so love to be part of it. But, you know, I'm way too ahead. And, I, you know, she wasn't planning on stopping. But then she got sick and she had to go to the hospital. <laughs> and she was in bed for three days. So then she ended up intersecting with us, and she met Tomas, who's one of our featured pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm meeting Lydia here tomorrow. And so he introduced us, and we walked together for several hours. I, I remember we walked. Um, I remember exactly where we walked together. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's great. Mm-hmm. And so then we started filming her. So that was a really great story of, like, she really wanted to make a film, and it ended up happening, but not the way she thought it was going to happen. Yeah, Camino miracles don't usually involve the person getting so sick they end up in the hospital, so that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, and, and it, it ended up being such a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good lesson uh, in there. Yeah, that something really great can come from something really horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it was a positive thing for the pilgrims in the film to be interviewed along their pilgrimage? Like, do you think that, like, I think it's it's pretty clear that it would be a positive thing in the long run to have that, that film produced, to be documented. But I'm wondering about in the middle of the walk, having those interviews, those formal opportunities to reflect on the experience. Do you Did you get a sense that that was useful or beneficial for them? Well, it's so funny you would ask because I was really curious about that myself. Mm-hmm. And so I actually asked them all on camera. Hmm. Um, at the end, I was like, so how was the experience of, you know, being interviewed and how, you, how do you think this affected your Camino? And, you know, um, so I asked all of them. And, and I remember Jack and Wayne's comments the most. Mm. Um, and they just said they were so grateful for it. And they felt like that it really enhanced their Camino. And the reasoning was because they knew every three or four days they would be interviewed and they would be asked, <laughs> what are you learning? How are you growing? What are you noticing about yourself? So it really made them much more introspective mm-hmm. and looking at their Camino. Um, so they said that they really feel like they got a lot more out of the Camino because of it. Mm. And and all of them seemed to be very happy that they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody had any regrets or anything like that. What was funny, too, was I think when I asked Misa that question, um, she said, well, Lydia, there's something I haven't told you. Hmm. And I was like, oh, what's that? And she goes, well, about 10 days before I, I arrived in St. John, before I was going to start my Camino, I had a dream. I had a dream I was on Oprah. <laughs> and I was on Oprah because I had been in an American documentary about the Camino. <laughs> and she said, it made no sense to me. It seemed so crazy. And she said, so then when I'm walking out of St. John, and she met Sally, our one of um my producers, mm-hmm. she goes, I was walking out and I met Sally the very first day. And she tells me she's part of this crew making this documentary and then asked me if I wanted to be part of it. She was like, <laughs> I, I had to say yes. Like, I feel like I'd be struck by lightning if I said no. <laughs> like it was supposed, it was what she was supposed to do. 
Now, we still haven't been on Oprah, but I still have hope <laughs> that <Yeah>. someday <laughs> her dream will, will manifest and that mm-hmm. Misa will be on Oprah. <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was a pretty cool little thing that happened. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene in the film? Gosh, there's so many. There's so many. I think I remember there's one of my favorite favorite lines was when Antonio was talking to Sam. Mm-hmm. And Sam is all upset because she she is coming to the end of the Camino. She doesn't really have any answers about where she's going to go or what she's going to do. And she is in a little bit of a panic. And he says to her, I think we have all the answers within us. We just don't make time to let them surface. Mm. And that was one of the things I, I was, I remember it was like, this really has to be in the film because that is so much. I think what happens on the Camino is people finally have time and they let kind of their inner wisdom comes out. That said, so often I know people go on the Camino and they are searching for answers mm-hmm. to questions and they don't usually come away with the answers. But as Wayne actually said this, he goes, I'm, I don't have the answers, but I'm more at peace in the not knowing. Mm. I think that's part of it too, hmm. is just the peace that you'll know when you know. And mm. in the meantime, not to be too tortured about it. <laughs> Your film has had a really significant impact and it came out, shortly after The Way, and those two films have had a huge impact on, I think, on the number of English-speaking pilgrims walking on the Camino. And uh, I I think that they're complementary. They move or inspire pilgrims in different but related ways. And I'm wondering what your sense is of how walking the Camino and The Way sort of fit together as dual film accounts of the community of Santiago? So the way was actually kind of a Camino miracle for us. Hmm. And yeah, what happened was the way I found out about the way when that they were going to make this film when I was in Santiago in February of 2009, I was scouting and trying to kind of set set up some trying to get some hotels for free, et cetera, et cetera, and also raise some money. And so I got there and found out Emilio and Martin had just been there. And so when I got home, I contacted them and I said, hey, you know, I'm doing this documentary. We're going to be shooting April, May. And they were like, oh, we're going to be shooting then too. And I was like, oh, well, well, maybe we'll see each other. Well, we go and we shoot and I never see them. Mm-hmm. And I got in touch with Martin and he was like, oh, we got delayed. Um, we're going to be shooting in the fall. And so we put together a 24-minute 20, essentially fundraising trailer to try and raise money for the film and to give people a good idea of the characters and the the scenery and the themes that we were going to address in the film. And so when we finished it, I sent it off to Martin, Mm -hmm. and he immediately responded and said he loved it, and he was amazed by it. And then he told me later, he and Emilio essentially used that to train some of their actors, or they showed it to some of their actors, because none of them had ever walked the Camino. I know uh, Emilio's son had walked the Camino, and Mm -hmm. he was kind of advising them. 
but that was about it. So they used our trailer to kind of help everybody. And so, of course, they didn't have the money problems we did. So <laughs> they shot, and then they immediately edited, and then immediately they came out. So they came out like two years before we did. And in some ways, it was kind of painful. You know, I'm still raising money. I still am trying to finish the film, and they're they're out. And I was speaking at a pilgrimage conference, and again, doing small little fundraisers. And there was a screening as part of the conference of The Way. Mm -hmm. And it was a special screening before the film was in theaters. And Martin and Emilio and I had talked um, several times. Emilio at one point needed some extra footage, and he was going to use some of ours. But in the end, they went back and they reshot. So they both knew my voice, but they didn't know know me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, this big screening happens, and you know, the, there's like members of the royal family from Spain and these Spanish mm-hmm. ambassadors there. We're in, it's in Washington D.C. And so afterwards. They do a Q&A, and as you know, they ended up in Mushia rather mm-hmm. than Finisterre. So I, I just stood up to ask that question, like, why Mushia instead of Finisterre? And I, I said, hi, it's Lydia from the Camino documentary. And literally, immediately, Martin just went off and started mm-hmm. raving about how great the film was and how we were struggling to to make it, and if anybody had a bag of money, they should give it to me. And wow. It was... It was really one of the sweetest things I've ever seen anybody do. I mean, at his own screening, he totally deflected and tried to help me. Hmm. And it really meant so much to me. I have to say, nothing really came of it mm-hmm. but <laughs> that I know of. I mean, I'm sure there are things that came of it that I don't know, but nobody did come up with a bunch of money. I mean, a bunch of people were like, oh, maybe I can do a fundraiser, and they never worked out. But then... When they were out, you know, they were, like, getting so many people interested in coming because Martin is such a phenomenal actor. Mm -hmm. And so lots of people wanted to go see the film. And then it was really popular. I mean, Martin did just such a spectacular job. I thought he was – his acting was phenomenal. Mm. And anyway, so so it gathered all these people to – to come and see the movie, and then they were interested in the Camino. And so then a lot of them went and walked the Camino, so that by the time our film came out, (laughs) there were literally thousands more people that knew about the Camino, and hundreds, if not thousands, that had already gone and walked between the time they saw The Way and our film came out. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, for example, the American Pilgrims, when we filmed, I don't even think they had chapters, or they were starting to have chapters. Mm-hmm. And then uh, over the next couple of years, they had a couple chapters. And now I think they have 32 different chapters all <laughs> over the U.S. So there was just this explosion of interest in the Camino. And so it was thanks to all those people that had seen the way and gone and done the Camino or were interested in it that then turned around and helped us. And were then our messengers and people spreading the word. And as I was touring the country, they were the ones putting me up or, you know, helping us out at screenings or selling merchandise. I mean, so it was really, I mean, the timing was just so divine and perfect Mm -hmm. that it came out 
a couple years before us. And it was one of those things, again, in the moment, I didn't see it as such a blessing. Mm -hmm. But then later, I was like, oh, my God, it was perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. Yeah. And as was mentioned, this has brought a lot more pilgrims to the Camino. And there's been increases not just in the English-speaking world, but all around the world. Lots and lots of people are walking the Camino. Do you ever worry that your film, along with The Way and and some of the other really popular texts that have come out over the last decade, contribute to that overcrowding and could even be seen as harmful in the long run to the pilgrim experience? Well, you know, it's funny you ask because... I actually, when I interviewed this one, one of our Camino experts, he was the head of the Spanish Camino Association of, of Pilgrims, mm-hmm. and I, I had this worry. I was like feeling concerned that maybe that was going to happen, that we were going to cause lots of people to come and it was going to get overcrowded and it was going to ruin the Camino. Mm-hmm. And he laughed and he laughed. He's <laughs> like, Lydia, you can't break the Camino. And he said, it's been around for so many years, and it's waxed and waned. And, you know, they they think that potentially in some of the years in the Middle Ages, there could have been a million people doing the Camino in a year. Mm -hmm. And he said, what happens is it just expands and more people, you know, put up albergues and bars, and, and then it'll contract. And so I was worried about that, and Mm -hmm. I kind of have continued to be, especially seeing people be really disrespectful on the Camino. And But then one of the other things that makes me feel a lot better is I I know quite a few hospitaleros, and they told me, they said, Lydia, the people that have seen your film are so much kinder and more respectful, Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that are really there with intentions for their pilgrimage, and they're really doing it in a much more sacred way. So they said, your film is helping. If people hmm. see the film, they they see the kind of sacred act that a pilgrimage is, rather than just taking it as a cheap vacation. Hmm. And so they really kind of get some, I don't want to say instruction, but you know they can hear from the hospitaleros about what this is. So that made me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. That, and I think, you know, there's there's probably other films or TV reports out there that just make it look like a fun hike. And so at least mine, I think, kind of has more of a sacred tone to it, and will inspire people to be better pilgrims. Mm. Will you walk the Camino again? Yeah, actually, I really want to go back this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to be going back in October. I haven't decided what section I'm going to do yet. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do the Portuguese, or maybe do the Frances again, mm-hmm. or maybe walk from Le Puy. Um, I'm not really quite sure. Uh, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my tickets and I'm going to go to Spain. I used to live in Barcelona. Um, I lived there for six years, and I have a Spanish family there, and so I'll go to Barcelona and then and then I'll decide. Awesome. Um, and maybe I'll maybe I'll have figured it out before October. But <laughs> for now, I'm just going to plan on going to Spain in the fall, and I'll see. But I haven't. I've walked. I've been on the Camino several times. We did a couple fundraising tours, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't been just for me and just walking alone and 
um, I'm really looking forward to walking again. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me, Lydia, about your film. Well, thank you. And thanks for doing your podcast and spreading the, the Camino love. I'm speaking with Wayne M.D. of Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, who was featured in Walking the Camino, Six Ways to Santiago. Thanks for talking with me, Wayne. Oh, pleasure. Uh, it's great to have you on, and I'm interested to you know get us started. What brought you to the Camino in the first place? Well, um, it goes back a little ways. I was visiting my son in Japan, hmm. and uh, my, my wife had passed away a couple years before, Mm-hmm. and he thought that I really needed something to uh, kickstart me again. Mm. So he suggested we walk the Shikoku pilgrimage, which is a 1,200-kilometer Buddhist pilgrimage that circumnavigates the island of Shikoku. Hmm. And in the process, you stop at uh, 88 Buddhist temples mm-hmm. along the way. And uh, so I said, I thought about it. I wasn't too keen on the idea of walking 1,200 kilometers to start with. Like, and, uh, and at the time, I was working on cruise ships. I was teaching photography on cruise ships. Hmm. So I told him I'd think about it, and uh, I headed off to the Mediterranean and uh, thought about it and came home and thought about it and finally said, sure, why not? Let's go do this thing. Hmm. So um, in 2008, we uh, set out and uh, spent seven weeks backpacking the... Uh, Shikoku pilgrimage, hmm. and a uh, pretty amazing trip to spend almost two months off the grid with one of your kids, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was really uh, a moving experience for me, and uh, the, the nature of that pilgrimage is different from most pilgrimages in that it's a circle, mm-hmm. and it kind of reinforces the Buddhist concept that there's no beginning, no end, there's only constant change, hmm. and uh, for me, it turned out to be a uh, a time of uh, remembrance, reflection, reconciliation. And uh, when I got back to Vernon, um, my friend Jack Greenhaw, who was one of the other pilgrims in the film, and we both worked at the same Army Cadet Summer Training Center, mm. and we were having a beer one day in the mess, and uh, I, I was telling him about Shikoko, and he said, and before I do that, just met <laughs> Jack is a retired Anglican priest. Mm. Um, so, and he said that it had always been his dream for 35 years to walk the Camino. Hmm. And I hadn't even heard of the Camino at that point. Wow. And, and uh, Jack, Jack's been a friend of mine for a long time. And uh, so I said, well, let's go do it then. Um, if I can walk 1,200, I can walk 800. <laughs> <laughs> no sweat. <laughs> and so we, we, tr- we decided that we were going to do it. And that's, that's what led me to the Camino. How was your initial experience on the Camino when you arrived there with Jack? What was what did you notice about that setting as opposed to the Shikoku walk? Well, for a start, you have the Pyrenees on day one <laughs> going out of Saint Jean Pied de Port. I mean, we, there were a lot of steep mountains in Japan, um, nine hundred meters up, nine hundred meters down, because they tend to put their temples, a lot of them, on tops of mountains. And the mountains are steep, much steeper than the Pyrenees were. Hmm. So that was that was a start. 
and uh, it, actually, I heard so much about it, and it wasn't that bad a day. Mm. Maybe I think we were prepared, but it was a quite a gentle slope, and we just kept going on, uh, until we got to Ronsavala. So, and uh, we had. It's interesting that we saw Josh, one of the videographers, on his hands and knees in the middle of the road, photographing a snail as it was crawling across the street. And we saw, I think, an interview with Annie as we walked past, and we had no idea what they were doing or anything. And, <laughs> and then uh, a day or so later, we ran into them up on uh, at one of the rest stops. Mm-hmm. And we were chatting with them, and I, when I found out what they were doing, I thought Jack would be a perfect subject for them because they were looking for other pilgrims to include in the documentary because of his background, because of his... Um, uh, history as a, a priest, and his, he's a historian of medieval church architecture, hmm. and a uh, very serious man, and uh, I thought he would be a good subject for them. So I talked to Lydia and said, look, this guy over here, I think <laughs> you should talk to him. And uh, they ended up signing both of us up. But that was, that was kind of how we got started with the film, mm-hmm. um, which led to all kinds of other things. Yeah, talk me through that decision. A Camino, a pilgrimage can be a really personal thing. Did you have any concerns about... Oh, yeah. Initially, we had concerns, like, who are these people? What is their... <laughs> what, what approach are they taking to this? And we really didn't know. But we did decide that if we felt that it wasn't comfortable for us, that we could just walk away from it at any time. Mm-hmm. And and that was the decision we made. And we thought, well, it won't hurt our trip because what they had talked to us about was that every two or three days they would catch up with us and just discuss what we had been doing and what what we had seen and how we were feeling as as we went along. So we thought, that's not terribly intrusive. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll we'll take a shot at this thing, having no idea how it was going to turn out or anything. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment along the way when you went from sort of it sounds like you were a little skeptical or uncertain about how it would play out. Was there a point on the walk when you suddenly felt really confident and, and happy that you were being filmed? Well, I'm never comfortable being filmed, um, <laughs> and most people aren't. I'm I'm a photographer, so I'm very comfortable with the camera pointing the other way. Mm-hmm. And uh, But one of the things that I thought as we went along, because we knew that we were going to talk to them in a day or two, I actually found myself paying more attention to my surroundings, to how I was feeling, mm. to um, any changes I was ex- undergoing. Um, and I, you, you become, I guess, conscious in the same way that if you know <laughs> there's going to be a test at the end of the lecture, <laughs> you kind of pay attention to it, you know. And yeah. if not, well, you just walk past it and half listen to it. So I I thought one of the the positives that came out of it for me was the idea that it really focused. I had to really think about what I was doing and why I was there and what I was experiencing and be prepared because they didn't reshoot anything. Mm. Um, Everything was done once. There was no, well, that sounded pretty good, but can we try it again Hmm. only this way, you know? And the the people that we worked with, uh, mostly with Teresa, um, so such positive people mm. and of course during the course of the trip we we had dinners with them um we had an evening that i wish had been included in the documentary mm. um 
because after dinner one night, they were staying in another albergue, and we went over, and Jack and uh, one of the soundmen, who is a professional musician, a guitar player, mm-hmm. and Jack is a really, really good harmonica player, and they just improvised off each other for about an hour. Wow. And, and it was one of these magical moments. The rest of us just sat around, drank wine, and went, wow, <laughs> this is really nice. And it was just one of those really unexpected, unplanned moments that turned out to be just this highlight of, of one of my highlights of the trip was just sitting back and listening to these two musicians um, improvise with each other and play music. So would you say overall that the the process of being filmed enriched your Camino experience, that it really did help to deepen your processing of the experiences along the way? I think so. I mm-hmm. think definitely. It made you conscious of what you were doing, why you were there, and what you were experiencing. I mean, it wasn't the total experience, because we only saw them every two or three days for mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, it wasn't like they were had we were the only subjects and the camera was on us all day every day right so it wasn't in a sense as intrusive as i thought it might be mm-hmm. and they didn't have us do anything that we weren't going to do anyway did you overlap much with the other people who were featured in the film like to what degree were you familiar with those other featured pilgrims we saw misha we walked with misha quite a bit at the beginning and then she was much faster than us and took off <laughs> i never we never saw uh, Tomas, mm-hmm. we never saw the lady with the baby carriage. Right. So no, we we didn't have much to do with. Uh, we we ran into Annie from time to time. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them, no, we had uh, we didn't, never saw Sam. Hmm. That you know, it's you can be one day apart. <laughs> right. And and never see people. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of us ended up in Santiago about the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we walked quite a bit with Marcia with the Korean lady. Yeah. She was a sweetheart, um, <laughs> really, really wonderful lady. But uh, no, you, you you sort of skip over and like the what we what I found about um, the Camino was you you form this kind of loose tribe, mm. and there's all the people that start on the same day. You kind of accordion out during the day, and you end up in the same village in the evening, and you may have dinner with some of them. Um, you may talk to them for you know walk with them for a couple of days, and then you don't see them again. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction to the film after you first watched it? Well, you're always hypercritical <laughs> of yourself. <laughs> yourself on a big screen and you go, oh, crap, I needed better writers. <laughs> I need a retake on that scene. But overall, I, I thought they caught it. The journey that Jack and I had was fairly well represented um, by the bits that they had caught. So I, I thought it was fair. Hmm. I thought it was uh, accurate of uh, our journey. Is there anything that you wish that people knew about your experience or about you that didn't make it into the film? Well, I'm very happy they weren't around me when I got food poisoning <laughs> in Leon. <laughs> I was pretty sick for a couple of days there, and that's uh, that's when Jack went off and did some tours on his own. Hmm. You know, you, you're not unhappy with that. I did pull a prank on them one day near the end, and they, <laughs> of course they cut that, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just one of those things I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to get them on this one and kind of work. It was a, a tall story. And as I was telling it, the crew was leaning in because this was the, uh, like the Shirley MacLaine moment, you know, yeah. the, the big awakening thing. And then when they found out it was made up, they, 
was just this disappointment on the cruise part. <laughs> oh, you know, they thought, oh, we're going to get this. This is the key. You know. Yeah. I felt a little bad about it, but at the same time, it was one of those days where they said, well, we only need you for 15 or 20 minutes, and it turned out to be much longer than that. <laughs> and, you know, we had to get to the next town to find a place to sleep. So mm-hmm. it was one of those things. But other than that, I mean, they can't, they can't include everything. Right. Um, we met up with um, a group of young Swedish ladies and walked with them for four or five days. Hmm. And they were so much fun. And uh, we just had such a good time with them, you know, going out for dinner with them. Uh, we went to a monastery that they told us about in Castro Jerez, mm-hmm. uh, where the, uh, not a monastery, but a convent where the nuns make their living selling cookies. So we yeah. went over to uh, have some cookies, and then they were doing um, evening vespers. Hmm. And we sat there for an hour while these nuns sang the evening vespers, and there were only five of us in the church. Hmm. It was one of those really magical moments that happened. That, again, unplanned, you know, unscripted, yeah. un, un, unexpected. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I just sat there and thought, this is what they do. Hmm. They're not doing it for us. They're, this is their life. This is how they lead their lives. And here in the middle of Spain is this group of elderly nuns who are carrying on the very, very old tradition that they, that they have. Mm. And that was, I found that to be one of those moving experiences on the whole thing. Mm. I'm interested in the fact that you are in this film, your Camino is permanently captured, you know, frozen in time. And this is a really influential film. A lot of people watch this and are inspired to go walk their own Camino, or it's a way for them to reconnect with it afterwards. And so... In a sense, you're you're kind of a Camino celebrity, and and I'm wondering how having your pilgrimage documented in this film has uh, affected you after the walk. Yes, that's that's an interesting question because I mean, locally, I, my city is about forty thousand people where I live. Mm-hmm. We had a, a showing here, and a lot of people have seen it, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of my friends or people acquaintances have used that as an inspiration to go walk their own. Hmm. And, I, and I find that really rewarding, that I can inspire people to do something. That, that's been one of the spin-offs of it. And of course, for me, it's, it's a bit of a legacy I can leave for my kids and grandkids. Hmm. Grandpa went and did this, you know? <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, when I went back two years ago, a friend of mine had just retired. He had taught drama in high school in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, for 42 years. And he was a senior army officer as well. And he retired from both positions when he hit 65. And my thought was, you know, you, you have to mark this. Mm-hmm. So I said, we're going to go. And he said, well, well okay, um, reluctantly initially. And we're only going to do the part from Astorga, mm-hmm. that stretch through Galicia. And... We get to Astorga, and by the way, this this guy in, in Moose Jaw, everybody knows him. Mm-hmm. He has his own weekly t- television interview show hmm. and teaching drama in the same high school for that long. And you can't go a block. I visited him a couple of years ago, and you can't go a block in town without somebody stopping him. And we get to Astorga, and we got a day to kick around uh, before we start. And this gentleman comes down the street, and he said, points to me, and he said, you're the guy, aren't you, <laughs> from the movie? And this, he had seen it in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he was really, you know, like, wow, you're here, <laughs> you know. And, and Lyle thought this was kind of neat. 
about an hour later, there were four ladies walking up from Ontario, walking mm-hmm. up the sidewalk, and they stopped us and said, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> and what I found really moving on that one was one of the ladies said, I saw the film, and you're the reason I'm here. You're, wow. you're my inspiration. And you just kind of take a breath and go, wow. You know, hmm. it's just... And then a little bit later in the day, another guy stopped us. <laughs> by this time, Lyle is rolling his eyes. <laughs> like, what? We're in the middle of Spain, and all these people know you. And, you know, I, my response to him was, well, yeah, we're not in Moose anymore, Lyle. There's a bigger <laughs> world out here. <laughs> you know? so, but it's been, it's been, in that sense, been a, uh, a kind of a personal triumph, a personal pleasure that I can inspire hmm. people to go and do it. And Jack and I have done a number of presentations whenever we've shown the film. And the response has always been really quite positive about it. It's kept rewarding us mm. for our journey by the responses from other people. And they sort of forget now that it was, what, seven years ago now. Yeah. You know, they see the film and they just, yeah, you guys, I saw the film. You know, friends <laughs> of mine in Calgary just saw it recently. You know, it's like any movie that comes out. The people forget that the actual movie was done many months before, even sometimes years before. So, And one of the, th- the offshoots of it is that Jack and I went and hiked across Wales. Hmm. I hiked across England along Hadrian's Wall on my own the next year. Last September, Lyle and I hiked the uh, West Highland Way in Scotland. Wow. And uh, Jason and I have gone back to Shikoku a couple of times now hmm. and uh, done parts of it that we, that we quite enjoyed the first time. Hmm. The journeys don't end when you get home. You know, it it just it carries on. It becomes part of you, and it becomes an inspiration to go see more of the world too. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned Jack a few times. What did it mean to have your friend walking with you on the Camino, and to have him documented part of this shared experience, both during and after the Camino? Oh, that that to me has been one of the the major joys of of the, the film is that. Because Jack comes across as being just the, the perfect pilgrim, I think. <laughs> but also, I mean, we our friendship, he, he performed the funeral for my wife. Mm-hmm. He's married two of my children in the backyard here. <laughs> Done a major canoe trip up in northern British Columbia a couple of years ago that uh, almost ended badly. Uh, we punched the hole in the canoe and it sank and all our gear sank. And wow. Either floated away or sank and we didn't drown, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> We survived that. I keep telling Jack, I'm going to write a book called, you know, My Travels with Jack, just yeah. when everything was going well, because <laughs> uh, we've, we've survived a few situations that could have gone badly for us. So, <laughs> But the other part for me was, because of Jack's theological and interest in architecture, church architecture, it was like doing a post-grad course in hmm. medieval church architecture, because things that I would have walked past, Jack would say, well, let's go take a look. Hmm. He would point out architectural details that had changed over the centuries. You know, part of the church was, uh, you know, Gothic and part was Romanesque, and this was added later. And uh, doing that with him hmm. was an education for me. And I think it was like having my own personal guide. And of course, his religious background, we had a lot of discussions about St. James and whether, you know, it was beyond legend or truth or what levels of it were actual, actually real. Mm-hmm. And those kind of things. So it it, it was a, a very significant journey for me to, to share that with Jack, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he could play harmonica and entertain <laughs> people at night was, 
because there'd be nights where he'd be in an albergue and he'd bring out his harmonica and he'd have an audience of 20 or 30 people sitting around listening to him, <laughs> which I thought was really good. And yeah, no, it's uh, it was a perfect partner to walk it with. Mm. We, you know, like we don't need to talk all the time either. Right. We'd sort of talk in the mornings and then in the afternoons we'd walk separately, you know, because you can, you can wear yourself out. <laughs> yep. Everybody only has so many stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> You walked the Shikoku route, you said, after your, your wife passed, and I'm sure that was still with you to some degree on the Camino. And I wonder if you can talk about walking on pilgrimage as a way of processing grief and what you learned about that and, and how that worked for you. I think what it is, and, and for me, I mean, everybody's journey is different. But I, I mentioned before that Shikoku was really a time of you know, remembrance, reflection. You know, we were we were married for 37 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to go through, a lot to put in place, for want of a better term. And so I had a chance to do that. And, of course, my son was interested in, in family stories before he was old enough to be part of them in that sense. Mm-hmm. So a large part of our journey with my son was the telling of family history and the telling of family stories and, and going over things that uh, he wanted to know. Mm-hmm. So that was a part of that, mostly dealing with the past. Mm-hmm. And I found as I went across Spain, following those yellow arrows, <laughs> to me that was pointing off into the sunset. Mm. And to me, the Camino became, this is where I'm going. The future's down here someplace. And the destination wasn't Santiago. The destination was someplace back where the sun set, mm. over there. Um, the destination was tomorrow. And uh, that's what I became. I, I, I started really looking forward to following those arrows and going down that path and looking towards tomorrow mm. and what my future was going to be. What am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. So I think the combination of those two journeys, for me, was the, the perfect healing vehicle, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Mm. Either one, I don't think would have been complete without the other. As you said before, the Shikoku pilgrimage is going in circles, right? And revisiting, going back Mm -hmm. to where you've been. And then the Camino is the straight line. It is moving forward to something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how how I saw it. And so the two of them as, as a combination was for me, almost necessary, as it turned out. I mean, you, d- you don't plan these things in, in advance. <laughs> you don't go head off to Japan and say, well, I'm going to do this because this is going to happen. And then you don't do the Camino because I'm going to do this because I expect this to happen either. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, one of the things I learned, I'm not a Buddhist, but one of the tenets of Buddhism is there are no expectations. If you remove expectations from your life, you become much more content with your life. So that was part of it. it I, it's hard to explain it. It's hard to to put it into a, a nice, tight little sentence, um, mm-hmm. how it changes you. Wayne, thank you for, for speaking with me about the film experience and your time in Japan and in Spain. You know, as, as I mentioned, I think the legacy of the film for my family that will now be you know one of those things you can leave behind.
I'm speaking with Jack Greenhall of Kelowna, British Columbia, who was featured in Walking the Camino, walking alongside of his good friend Wayne. And thanks for speaking with me, Jack. You're very welcome. It's great to talk with you. And to get started, I'm just interested, why did you walk the Camino in the first place? Well, it's interesting. I I walked uh, the Camino Santiago to Compostela as a fulfillment of my 40-year interest in pilgrimage as a form of uh, spiritual discipline and my interest in medieval history. Mm-hmm. I first learned about Santiago um, and the ancient art of pilgrimage from a friend who had been there on a tour, and he returned with fascinating stories. He spoke, for example, of uh, large numbers of pilgrims who had walked hundreds of kilometers all across Europe, mm-hmm. arriving at the cathedral and uh, spending days circling the cathedral, waiting their turn to to enter and to visit a sacred shrine reputed to house the relics of the Apostle James. He brought me a gift at that time. It was a small silver replica, a replica of the Bota Fumiero, the incense burner. Hmm. And um, he told me the story of how this burner, which was really four feet, over four feet in height, is swung from the ceiling of the uh, of the nave, and swung uh, with incense coming from it over the crowd of pilgrims below. Mm-hmm. And it just so fascinated me that I needed to um, look into this deeper. <laughs> it was the beginning of uh, a research for me, actually, uh, 40 years of research and study into a, what was becoming a modern phenomena rooted in a medieval past. That in itself was very interesting. Hmm. So I guess the answer is it's the result of a long search and a desire to combine my own spirituality, my own knowledge, with a serious physical challenge. Mm-hmm. And so Wayne M.B. and I spoke about it at some length and decided to do that, which we did in the spring of 2009. Hmm. So 40 years of of thinking about it, and that means you started thinking about it in your early 30s and then ultimately made that trek at the age of 73. And there are many pilgrims who decide to pursue this at an older age. When retirement comes, they have more time available, but they worry about how their bodies will respond. How was it for you physically, and, and how did you manage well, good question. Actually, I was 72. Oh, sorry. And um, apparently, I was told, the oldest person on the Camino at the time. The funny thing was that Wayne and I were um, nicknamed, unbeknownst to us, as the Muppets of the, of the Camino. <laughs> the title we actually uh, welcomed and took pride in. <laughs> well, I wasn't worried at all about whether I could do this trek. I've always been physically active in physically good shape. Mm-hmm. running, mountaineering, cycling, backpacking, canoeing, skiing. I'm still doing a lot of those things, especially skiing. Hmm. As a mountain climber for over 15 years, I had a long go learned to look after my feet and my boots. Mm. These are basic equipment if you're going to take up mountaineering and or any other sport, really. Mm-hmm. This together with uh, months of physical Training, walking mostly, prepared me to hike 800 kilometers, over 800, in 35 days. Hmm. I think a lot of the foot problems that people experience could probably be avoided by proper attention and preparation. Hmm. 
I did experience a few minor uh, things like muscle pains and fatigue, mm-hmm. but nothing serious, hmm. except uh, for a very sore hip from an old arthritic problem. Mm-hmm. And went upon arrival in San Diego. A good two days rest, however, cleared that up. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing is for me is I lost weight. Uh, hmm. I couldn't afford to either. I lost 21 pounds. Wow. The same weight as my pack. But, you know, I felt as good or even better than at any other period in my life. Hmm. It was really a wonderful feeling. Hmm. I think this trek is uh, is doable, probably at any age, if you're in reasonable shape. Mm-hmm. But you do need to prepare. Hmm. One of the things that I may have gotten wrong watching the film was it felt in the film like you were walking primarily to support Wayne, to be there with him as he walked, whereas in talking to Wayne, it sounded like, to some degree, this was your idea. You brought it up. He'd never heard about it. So to what degree was this Camino your experience? To what degree was it really a shared experience between you and Wayne? And to what degree were you really trying to walk with Wayne in mind as he continued his journey moving forward from his his wife's passage? Well, that uh, was in the back of my mind all the time, mm-hmm. um, the supporting Wayne, um, but he uh, was supporting me too. Mm-hmm. Both Wayne and I had pretty clear reasons for making this track. Mine was for religious reasons and for spiritual clarification of my own long-held intellectual attitudes, my academic knowledge. That is, I I wanted to satisfy in some way my own curiosity about the uh, historical, spiritual background of pilgrimage in general. Mm -hmm. And I especially wanted to look at the influence of medieval monasticism and medieval culture during the heydays of pilgrimage during the 12th to 14th centuries. Mm. Of course, I had many opportunities uh, for this. Because, uh, really, the Camino is very much a a linear walk through history. Mm. There's a lot of time for private uh, reflection and journaling on the trail. Since um, Wayne tended to walk a little faster than I did, Mm. we developed the habit of walking together in the morning, discussing our observations, sharing life experience stories, Mm. exploring and photographing. We're both photographers. Uh, looking at artifacts and talking, especially talking with fellow pilgrims at frequent stops at cafes and tapas bars. Hmm. In the afternoons, uh, we tended to walk separately. Mm -hmm. Wayne pushed on ahead, and I came up more slowly with time to reflect, ponder, and for me to pray. Hmm. It was a good arrangement, I thought. (laughs) We would then meet at a village later on in the day, and um, find ourselves in Alberti to do some local exploring, photographing, mm-hmm. and then enjoy dinner with new friends and especially with some good red wine. <laughs> As a priest and a scholar of pilgrimage, I'm wondering what in your mind does the film Walking the Camino capture perfectly about pilgrimage? I guess in one word, it would have to be the word transformation. Mm-hmm. The film shows the personal journeys of six or seven people and tells their stories with great sensitivity and empathy. Each one is different, of course, but 
together, they portray the essential goodness, mm. the irrepressible optimism within mm. the human soul. Mm. One cannot make this pilgrimage and not be changed by it in unexpected ways. I know that my own transformation, my attitudes, my beliefs, my prejudices, my assumptions, etc., all of these were challenged again and again. And very often in brief encounters or conversations with others along the road. Can you give me a specific example or, or story that illustrates one of those moments? There was one man I, I met, I overtook. He was going along very, very slowly. And I could see him off in the distance. And I overtook him and um, walked with him for a ways. And he was um, very quiet. He was quite reluctant to talk, so I tried to respect his privacy. At one point, he pointed at his feet and said uh, he was wearing these big, old, worn-out army boots, and he, I, I could see that his, he was suffering. Mm -hmm. And he said, my feet, my feet. Later on in the day, I met him again in the Alberque, mm -hmm. and Lo and behold, he was in the bunk uh, below me, hmm. and he was trying to take his boots off. So I helped him with his boots, and his feet were all bloody mm. right across the balls of his feet. And um, he, he didn't speak English, and I didn't speak. I think he was probably from Baltic States or somewhere. Mm -hmm. He um, we, we made a lot of sign language. He said, you fix. And so he pulled out of his... Um, pack a first aid kit and it included a whole pile of stuff including he pulled out a needle and a thread mm -hmm. he put the needle in the cigarette lighter and the thread through the eye of the needle and he pointed at his feet <laughs> <laughs> so i had to i put his foot up on my knee and um I stitched up about five or six very serious uh, splits across the ball of his feet. Oh. And he was so grateful. And I, I thought, any other time or place, I would never do that. I'd probably never do that. <laughs> but here we are in the middle of a, a pilgrimage, and person from the other side of the world, I don't know. He was so grateful to me. So it just sort of challenged me that, there are opportunities to see the goodness in other people mm. that come along most unexpectedly. There's a Spanish word, it's the word altreus, mm -hmm. which uh, I think means upwards and onwards. Mm -hmm. And I think it captures something of this, um, the meaning of universal transformation. This experience really changed me. I mean, the whole Camino experience changed me, and I, I know I'll be processing my experiences for, for the rest of my life. As a priest and experienced pilgrim, how would you advise pilgrims to prepare spiritually for their Camino? I think every pilgrim is different. Every pilgrimage is different. That's, that's a given, I guess. Mm -hmm. By way of preparation, I would say that to uh, try to examine your motivations or reasons before you go. Hmm. Do I really want to spend over a month hiking along a rural trail in a foreign land? I'd say try to understand something about a pilgrimage in general. Secondly, ask yourself, what are the people and the events that have impacted my life in the past? And I'd recommend that you write down these reflections. The act of walking is a tremendous therapy in itself, and it brings healing in very real ways. Hmm. I experienced that myself. 
I'd also say, what would you like to achieve personally and practically? And to try to recognize you will not be totally clear about all of these things, or any of them maybe. It's a process, so you need to be patient, patient with yourself. By way of preparation, I would recommend that if you haven't practiced journaling, you start it now. Try journaling. Try to reflect on common everyday experiences and how these relate to your life's journey. Hmm. Writing down your thoughts day by day has a way of clearing the mind and the heart. It's a form of meditation, really. And I would say continue journaling on your track. Don't be afraid to write down uh, your insights and to even share some of these with others. In that act, you affect and help others in ways you may not realize. In the practice, the art of empathy is most important. Practice that. It's something that doesn't happen always naturally. Sometimes you need to practice that. When you do, try not to invade the space of others. Recognize that privacy on such an intimate and intense activity as the Camino requires privacy. Finally, I'd say prepare to put your cell phone on the bottom of your pack and leave it there <laughs> until you absolutely need to use it. When we did this track in 2009, there were very few cell phones. Wayne and I had one between us, and we only used it very rarely. Uh, and that was true of most everyone we met. Didn't need many cell phones. There were no cell phones. But nowadays, apparently... Everyone's got a cell phone, and I don't know how you can be open and aware of your surroundings with your face glued to a cell phone all the time. Hmm. So I'd, I recommend don't take it, or if you must, put it in your pack. Hmm. But by way of faith preparation, I would say not everyone has clearly defined religious faith. It's helpful, but not essential. The communal has for centuries attracted people from a variety of world faiths. It's available to everyone, and it is... I think, sensitive to everyone, to all faith traditions, and sensitive to those who have no specific faith tradition. In other words, I don't think there are many expectations made on anyone, except perhaps the willingness to search for meaning in your own life. Now, the Camino is traditionally Catholic religious experience of over a thousand years, and therefore, uh, you should be prepared to encounter various religious activities, like the Mass and the blessing of pilgrims in uh, churches along the way. You will encounter also dozens of legends and artifacts and shrines hmm. and ancient custom. You'll encounter references to the role of the Knights Templar in the, in the communal buildings. You'll see churches and monuments and bridges you'll discover and may even stay in medieval Cistercian and Benedictine monasteries mm -hmm. and feel the presence of those ancient monks who influenced millions of travelers over the centuries. All these and much, much more are part of the mystique of the Camino. Hmm. And all that is required of you is, in return, is appreciation and respect. There are about 89 villages and towns along the route, and everyone has a church right on the path. Many are open to you. Come in. They welcome you to come in, enter, and look around at the beautiful art. And there is some beautiful art and historical artifacts to sit and rest in the cool of the atmosphere, to pray if you wish, and to light a candle if you wish as a memory or a prayer for someone or something on your heart. 
The Camino in other words is open and welcoming of everyone, and there are many spiritual surprises along the way. If you perhaps come from a faith tradition, be it Christian, Catholic, Protestant, or Orthodox, or if you happen to be of Jewish background or Muslim or Buddhist or some other great world religion, I'd say by way of preparation, try to get in touch with what your own tradition teaches. Do some basic research and come prepared. So as you travel this ancient route, try to be alert to what you are seeing and hearing and experiencing. Try to see the differences and similarities that exist uh, between your own traditional background and culture Mm -hmm. and the new experiences you are having. And if you do that, you'll probably find that we have far more in common than we have things that separate us. And you'll probably also find the common truths of all religions uh, that bind all humans together in one great spiritual bond. I think if you will find you if you do this, you will find this to be one of the deepest and most lasting gifts you will bring back from your Camino experience. As I said at the beginning, this may well be the last polished episode for a while. But that doesn't mean there will be no episodes. While I'm on the road, my hope is to interview people along the way about their experiences on the Norte and elsewhere. So we'll see what happens. It may end up being a disaster. The audio may end up being unusable, but it might work. So it's worth a shot. So keep an eye out. We may have one or two episodes live from the Norte to share with you in July, and if not, we'll come back strong in August. And with that, we'll wrap up today's episode. Please, if you have a minute, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Camino Podcast, as a place to stay connected and find some interesting additional information about the episodes and uh, connect with other listeners. Write us at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com, especially if you're interested in getting involved in the rewalking the Camino Frances series. If you have a preferred stretch of the Camino Frances after the Meseta, that's what I'll be looking to record upon return home. And otherwise, I hope you all have a great summer. And for those heading out on pilgrimage, maybe we'll see each other in Santiago. Adios. Adios.